well, folks, you know, when you hear that tune, you're in for a treat because it's time for another week of the Rec Poker Podcast. Thanks for joining me. I'm Jim Reed. Bluff Sterini and the Home Games are at Rec Poker Jim on Twitter. Um, if you don't know what Rec Poker is all about, we're just a group of very enthusiastic amateur recreational poker players who love the game and love spreading our love of the game with the rest of the world. Um, every week I get to hang out here and talk with my poker friends about this game that we enjoy so much. Um, and most of what we do is free here at Rec Poker. So I have to thank our sponsors, the Running Aces Hotel Racetrack and Casino and Mark Prashan over at Website Amp. And of course, I also have to thank our Wrecking Crew members because these are the folks that really make all the magic happen here at Rec Poker. If you want to learn more about the Wrecking Crew, you can go to Rec poker slash crew or you can just listen up because you're about to, out to meet a couple of them right now my name is eric jen i am binkley on the rec poker forums or at rec binkley on twitter i'm kim kilroy i am pet vet 33 or fergie 56 in the home game pet vet or pet vet 33 everywhere else and the only woman on the wrecking crew so come on women come on let's get this more even that's right. I'm with you, Kim. We've got a number of uh, very active uh, women premium members, but you're the first one to take the step onto the Wrecking Crew. And it's coming up on a year. We've had Kim on here uh, working her magic, doing her study groups and contributing her amazing uh, insights and ideas to the show. Uh, I'm with you. Let's let's spread that. Let's get some more. Uh, let's get some more women here on the show. Uh, one of the things I love to do here every week is introduce, uh, welcome back guests from the chats edition of the podcast. If you were listening last week, you know, we had Carlos Welch on to talk about uh, facing continuation bets and how to defend against them. We had such a good time. He decided to come back and now we're actually going to look at an example hand uh, from the World Series of Poker this past year. Um I know I've been doing a lot of hands from the World Series main event this year, but it's because it's a bucket list item for me to play in it. I got the satellite in this year. I had a great time. I'm definitely addicted. I cannot afford to ever play it again in my life, but it was so much fun. I'm just going to draw out the fun as much <laughs> as I possibly can here on the show. So, Carlos, thanks for coming back on the Rec Poker Podcast to talk to us about uh, defending against CBETs again. Oh, no problem. No problem. Thanks for having me. <laughs> so we'll just cut right to it. If if uh, folks didn't listen last week, just jump back an episode and you can hear about sort of some of the factors that we might consider when facing a three bet, uh, a C bet. Uh, we'll talk about those. Those are mostly single raise pots where the player is uh, in position player is the original open raiser. This is a little different. This is a hand uh, from day two of the main event. Um, I was in middle position. And the player to directly to my left had been three betting me quite a bit. And so I was starting to suspect that this player was three betting with, with not just premiums. Uh, let me put it that way. So uh, I'm holding king of hearts, queen of hearts. We're at uh, level six, which is a 400 small blind, 800 big blind, 800 ante. We're sitting on about 60 big blinds. Uh, and we open to 2000, which is a two and a half bigs. The villain to my left three bets to 5,000 and it folds back around to us. So that's about six and a quarter big blinds. If uh, folks are, are doing the math at home, we open to, which is a respectable size in uh, in tournament poker to make three bets too. You can leverage some folds there without having to put too much of your stack in danger. Um, so it, we're facing a small three bet. It's going to cost us 3,000 chips to continue. We've got the king of hearts and the queen of hearts. Uh, 
I don't think folding is really an option because we're just getting a really good price on our call here, but we're going to be out of position and it's kind of a prestige event. Am I, should should this be a fold? Does anyone have any opinions about that? Um, I definitely would not fold. I do have some bad news for you. Uh-oh. I wouldn't say this is a respectable three bet size. I would say this is kind of a disrespectable size. It seems like this guy's targeting you. Yes, like, I think that's true. Like, this is the size I would use if I wanted to isolate the opener, um, but I'm not really expecting a lot of fold equity. Like, generally, I mean, because you guys are 60 bigs deep, um, two and a half is not big enough to generate much fold equity. I would expect him to go more like six or seven if he was using a... Um, a normal three betting range, it feels like this guy might just be three betting enough to get everybody else out so they can play against you in position. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me. That it did, I, I did feel like this person was three betting a lot. And, um, and this was a, I don't think this was sort of a, their, their size. I think this was the size that they'd chosen typically to, to three bet to. If the opener raised a little bigger, they maybe they would size up a little bit. Um, but that was kind of what they decided, I think, there. Uh, yeah, Eric? and I and I and I so, do see I do see some players using this size as a default. I think that's kind of a mistake. So if this player is doing that, then everything I said may not apply here. Hmm. I, e- either one could be very much the case, though. I think that's true. Eric? Uh so you saw this player three bet other players besides yourself at this sizing? Uh yeah, they were very active three better. Oh, yeah. Um but I don't, so they, they were three betting other players. I felt like they were also three betting me a lot. So I don't, it's probably a combination of them just being very comfortable three betting a lot. And we've talked before on the show in the main event, there's this weird dynamic where people overfold to three bets, I find. And so it becomes a very profitable uh, exploit to be three betting a lot. Um, but yeah, I, I can't say specifically. I wish I could. I wish I could say with more detailed uh, accuracy about the sizing, but they were three betting uh, a lot. Yeah. So um, there was some talk just before we jumped on and started recording here. Uh, there was some talk about whether this might be a good four betting candidate given the dynamics. Um, we've got some blockers to some of the stronger hands they can have there. Uh, Kim, what's your take on that? My take is this is mostly a call. Uh, from this in this scenario however it can exploitably be a a four bet because of Uh in a vacuum i think this is probably just a call yep uh, with yours sorry if my internet's not good um but (laughs) but but in this scenario i i don't mind a three a four bet here I do think those three and four bets leverage a lot of fold equity in the main event. So it's a good tool to have in your back pocket if um, if you if you feel like you've got the cojones to pull it off. I found for whatever reason on day one and on day two, I was getting three bet a ton. And I did I never really squeezed the trigger on any light four bets, um, which is kind of what they were counting on when they three bet <laughs> me a lot, right, Carlos? That's that's kind of what they're gaining, that's kind of what they're planning on. Yeah, that's why I have a um, 
I was going to say love hate, but I think it's becoming a hate hate relationship <laughs> with this tournament. It's for that exact reason. Like you just talked about earlier off air, how this was a bucket list item for you. You don't know if you're ever going to get a chance to do it again. So it's so hard to forbear light when that's the case. And what I don't like about this tournament is that it takes good players who know what they're supposed to do and just make it so hard for them to do it. Um, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. So I understand why you did, especially like when you have to travel to get to Vegas from far away. It's like it would suck so bad to format this and get in a spot where you have to bluff it off. And yeah, yeah, it's I understand. I understand. <laughs> um, but I think I agree with Kim. That probably would have been a reasonable exploit in this spot. Yeah. And I know you're always looking to exploit players when we can make good assumptions about them, right? That's the key. And we were getting some evidence that this guy was three betting wide, um, or at least often, even in a a day of poker, you can't necessarily say that it's wide or loose or, or weak, but the more often it happens, you know, it's just not as likely they're getting aces and kings that often, right? Yeah. Especially when you have a king and a queen in your hand, like that. This is going to be hard for this guy. Like, really? He's the game, buddy. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, <laughs> so as played, so we did call. Um, and uh, so it's just the two of us in the hand. The flop comes, the ace of hearts, eight of diamonds, four of clubs. We've got the king, queen of hearts. So we've got a backdoor straight draw if uh, a 10 and a jack comes. We've got a backdoor flush draw if two more hearts come. And we've got king, queen, high on an ASI board. So it's the nut, no pair. But in a three-bet pot, I'm not sure how relevant that really is. Uh, but that's kind of what our hand strength is at that point. On a board like this, we're, I think we're probably checking about 100% of the time uh, to the three-better, Carlos. Is that is that right? Yes. So we're going to be facing C-bets a lot. And this defending against C-bets is the theme of the month. And so this was... Uh, a spot where ace, eight, four, rainbow, we're not going to have a lot of natural continuing hands, which means, and and the, the original razor is going to have a lot of aces and big pairs. So they kind of own this board. They should be c-betting this board at a high frequency. They're going to use a small sizing because of that. And so we're going to face a lot of c-bets here. In the previous episode, we talked about kind of how to choose, Carlos, which hands to continue with and which ones to continue with as a call and which ones to continue with as a check raise. When the board's dry like this, you talked about maybe some backdoor hands with blockers, kind of like we've got here. But when it's a three bet pot and there's an ace on the board, it feels like that might change the dynamic a little bit. What's going on with that? Yeah, I was just thinking that like the fact that this player is going to have so many ace X hands in their range, us blocking the ace isn't us blocking ace king and ace queen isn't that helpful for us unless we want to really go for it because this guy will have some weaker aces in those that if you were to check raise his hand he'll call with those but he might not call turn and river Mm -hmm. but it's so hard to check raise flop and pull the trigger on turn and river here so if that's something that you have to be honest with yourself if that's not something you think you're <laughs> capable of. I think it's okay to kind of just like, you know, save that for the psychos like me who will do this in tournaments that aren't the main event because even I don't know if I'm willing to do this in the main event, which is why I don't play it like I used to. Yep. <laughs> uh, yeah. But yeah, 
it's like it would be nice if this was like you know we kind of talked about this before if this was king a4 and we had queen jack of hearts now i'm way more likely to do that because now it's in benefit to us that this guy has so many ace x hands in his range um but when the ace actually comes we do have to be a little bit more careful and i want to say you should have a number of suited aces and just like pocket pairs in your range that you have some other hands you can continue with on this board facing the bet where you don't have to get too crazy with king high I think that makes a lot of sense, especially in these three bet pots where they just they own this board so much um, uh, compared to what we're going to be having here and certainly compared to what we're holding. So uh, we do check and they bet uh, the pots about 12,000 at this point. They bet 3,500, which is uh, just between a quarter and a third, which is a small enough bet. Um, So we get a little optimistic, maybe. And just I just decided to call. Uh, because I felt like I had the best unpaired hand I could have. I had two back doors and and two high cards. If the guy's doing this with jacks or something, then maybe there's a chance I can outdraw him. Um, but it, yeah, I was not feeling very comfortable. I think on a larger bet size, I think I probably just have to fold. Even though I'm, I know I'm like leaving some money on the table when I do so. I just given the spot, I probably fold. But he made it small enough that I, I felt comfortable continuing. Uh, Kim, what were your thoughts uh, at this point? My thoughts is this is mostly a fold. Yeah. Like, but when you do decide to call here, I mean, that's okay. But on <laughs> runouts that are good for our calling range, we have to make a move mm-hmm. at some point in mm-hmm. the hand. We're going to be out of position. So, for instance, if it went, if if we call and the turn goes check check and the river's a blank, now we can lead to try and take this away. Mm. Um, so we can't just call with the hopes of hitting our back doors. Yep, great great advice. And and you know especially when you think about the fundamentals of poker, we don't have a position edge. We're out of position. We don't have a range edge because we capped our range by calling on the previous street. And we don't have card advantage either on our specific cards because we've got king high. Like we're really, yeah, I think you said it best. We're we're really just kind of like hoping to make a hand here. And in those spots, you do have to uh, take control or or try and take the hand away um, on some future streets. Ryan LaPlante talks about this all the time recreational players like us we don't lead enough turns and rivers we don't uh donk uh on enough uh post flop streets to kind of shake things up and and um introduce that taking taking control of the hand which is something that i struggle with for sure so uh any other thoughts on the flop before we proceed carlos yeah i got one last thought on this um so when this player three bets yeah if they are three betting a wider range. First of all, their normal three betting range is going to contain hands like ace king, ace queen, ace jack, even, and you know, some suited aces to bluff with. And a lot of players, if they're going to widen their range, they tend to like to add even more ace x hands into that range. So his normal bluffs hit this board, hit this board. Even a lot of his like additional bluffs hit this board. And if you think about other hands in this range that don't like this board you block them yep. so like kings and queens so like 
this is like one of the worst hands to try to get out of line with on this board because you really wish he had kings and queens. Like then maybe it's easier to find a way to take it away from him. But um, us blocking that, I think just kind of strengthen his, um, strengthens his range too much, given that even he's got value hands that hit that ace. He's got normal bluffs that hit the ace and even, even maniacal bluffs that hit that ace. And we block the good hands that are always in his range that don't hit the ace. So yeah, we're in a really bad spot here. Yeah. <laughs> well, I knew I was feeling uncomfortable at the time and now I'm feeling even more uh, unsure about how to proceed. It feels like we, uh, we, maybe this is just be a fold given what I'm hearing here. Like it just feels like uh, we don't have enough going for us to continue. Um, so I think, I think, and I'm making a pretty typical mistake here, which is I think my opponent's kind of getting out of line and I'm just like holding on as a consequence, but that doesn't really change their plan much. You know what I mean? Like I'm not, I'm not fighting back so much as just kind of staying in the hand. Uh, Eric, do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah. I mean, you're not discouraging him from his bad behavior. Right. <laughs> you didn't yes. for Bedham, you didn't put him to the test. He's always been putting you to the test. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think that's like Carlos is saying, that's kind of a dynamic of this tournament. Um where I actually felt like I was untethered from that uh like scaredness because I felt like this was on day two, and on day two I'd already, you know, I hadn't busted on day one. I like I most of what I'd wanted to happen other than cashing it, I I was at that point. So I wasn't afraid to pull the trigger, but I think it was even just kind of like preventing me from really weighing those options as heavily as I should have even. Um, okay. So we do call <laughs> just because we don't believe them. It's, it's not a good reason though. It's not a good reason to do it. That, that's what we did. Um, so the turn, the pots 19,000 is the five of clubs. So the board is ace of hearts, eight of diamonds, four of clubs, five of clubs. Uh, so it's pretty bricky. We check and the villain checks behind. So what does this, to me, this kind of felt like, to me, this felt like it weakens their range a bit because they would typically want to continue getting value with their strong hands. I think they're, they probably still have some decent hands that they're checking behind with here, um, especially when the backdoor flush comes on. But um, what, what do you guys think, Carlos? What's your interpretation when they check behind here? I think you nailed it this does weaken their range in the sense that they're probably going to continue betting any two pair of better type hands and even like good top pair hands, but they'll probably start slowing down with some of their weaker top pair hands, as well as hands like Kings and Queens. And if they're really getting out of line with a lot of bluffs, then they do have some other hands that will maybe give up here. Like maybe something like, um, Queen Jack or something might yep. decide that once you call the flop, you probably wait it towards an ace or um, something that you're not going to fold. So I think their range at this point looks like a few give ups and a decent number of um, hands that they are um, just trying to get the showdown with now. Yeah. And um, I guess there's something to be said now that there's a four and a five on the board, they have slightly fewer combos of those ace four, ace five suited semi bluffs that they might've been using as a three bet earlier. 
Um, but I still think they have, it, I'm not sure that's, that's that big a chunk of what they were continuing with. It just occurred to me that might be interesting. So it goes check, check. Uh, the turn is the five of clubs. Sorry, the river is the four of diamonds. So it pairs the four on the board. There's no, uh, no uh, flush comes in. If someone had six, seven here, they would have made a straight on the turn, but I don't think, I mean, sure, they can have six, seven sometimes if they're getting really out of line with their three betting, but. Um, could, could you uh, ever have six, seven? I think I could. I think I could sometimes. Sometimes. Again, it's a really small portion of the range, but. So should we be leading this river or? That's a great question. Because cause we're kind of looking at this through the lens of defending against seabets. And when we think about the range that our opponent has chosen to seabet with on the flop, and then they've checked behind on the turn here. Um, so, Eric, here's my question. When we've got king high, what hands are going to fold to, like, obviously all the hands that we beat are going to fold. But are, are we going to get them to fold like a one pair hand with our lead? As because as because we're we're leading as a bluff in that scenario, right? Yes. So I if like you had, a, sorry, I like a no, no, a lot. If this is a single race pot and we're in the big blind, I love mm, a river. Yes, yes. Like yes. we have everything. We have yes. everything on this river. We're going to make kings and lower fold. Kings, queens, jacks, tens, nines, sevens, sixes. All those hands that are beating us, we're going to make them fold. Yep. So it, in this three-bet pot, I don't think we have six, seven very often. Right. Um, I, you know, we could have pocket eights. We could have slow-played pocket eights here. We could have, uh, we don't have many fours. Um, but the fact that he checked the flop, we can rep an ace here mm-hmm. reasonably. Um, and we can try to get pairs lower than the ace to fold. Yep. Jacks, tens, nines. We do block, like Carlos said, we block the queens, we block the queens, but maybe we can get jacks, tens, nines to fold here. I don't know. And I think that's the most important thing. Check, check on the turn. Yeah, check, check on the turn. Yep. Um, I think that's one of the most important things when we're thinking about leading in spots like this is to have a bluff target. Like, what are the actual hands that we're trying to get to fold? Um, and I think you're right uh, that a lot of those one-pair hands that are going to be better than us, maybe we can give them a chance to fold here. Um, what do you think, Carlos? I agree with everything that's been stated. Um, in fact, I just did a coaching session for four hours, and I probably <laughs> use I probably used the word target about forty times. <laughs> nice, nice. So it's very important before you make a decision that you yeah. know what you're targeting. I love the way you broke it down with Eric in terms of if you're going to turn King High into a bluff, you need to be making him, fo- him fold hands better than King High, and we're pretty certain he's not going to fold top pair. So now we're looking at, like Kim said, the pairs below um, the ace. Um, Now it's just a question of um, um, counting the combos in that, like, how many of those pairs are there really in this three betting range? So we got, um, if we start with jacks, tens, and nines, that's six each. So that's 18. Another six for kings and queens because they got they dropped down to 
three and three because we block them. Nice. So that's like 20. If we just look at kings through nines, that's 24 combos. And now we want to compare that to the number of combos of ASEX hands that he would three bet. Um, this is where it really matters how out of line this guy's getting. Because if he's only three betting big aces and suited aces, there's not going to be that many combos. Because I think the big aces will continue betting on the turn a lot of mm-hmm. the time. So we can discount mm-hmm. those. So if we're looking at something like, say, ace 10 as his biggest ace that doesn't bet the turn that hand alone is 12 combos so that's already like half of the pairs that we're targeting and then is the also three betting like um ace nine off if so that's going to be another 12 and then now once you start throwing in the suited aces um there's going to be three each of those um and at some point, he just has more aces than he has the pairs we want to target. And then on top of that, we don't even know if he's going to fold those pairs to a bet, especially the kings and the queens. If he's like most people, they get kind of entitled with those um, <laughs> pairs. Like it's a lot easier to get this player off of like nines uh, than it is to get him off of kings, uh, even though they both lose to the hand that we're repping. Um, so I think he has more ASEX hands than he has pairs. And I don't know if he's going to fold all the pairs unless we really go crazy here. Um, I don't know if I want to bluff this particular hand, but to your point that you mentioned earlier, um, we could have worse hands here that, um, that we might want to turn into a bluff, but this one, I think with this one, I'm going to, um, I'm going to start with a check with this one, but it it does feel very, very close to me. Eric. Yeah. So I guess maybe some of the key factors about our specific hand is we blocking the Kings and Queens and maybe we have enough showdown value. Exactly. Really depends on how out of line this guy's getting right. with his three bets. If he's getting out of as out of line as Jim feels he's getting, then we might have some showdown value here for sure. All right, that's that's good to hear. <laughs> we'll we'll go into how the hand plays out, um, but that is definitely how I was feeling. Uh, and and I wish I just wish I like the problem was he hadn't gotten to showdown often because people were really overfolding a lot. And that was encouraging us all to three bet more. Like I was three betting a lot of ace reg, king reg hands because people were folding. And like I, I got kings once and I three bet them and everyone folded. I'm like, well, I'm not three betting kings and aces anymore because I'm never gonna <laughs> right, I'm never gonna get any value from them. Um, so I don't know, I don't know what is going through their other players' minds at the table as well. But I did kind of decide, you know, that that people are gonna be three betting wider in this week. Well, some people are. Some people are not, but this was one of the players that was, and that was kind of my, my buckle up attitude about, about this a little bit. Um, so we get to the river, it pairs the four, we check there's 19,000 in the pot and the villain bets 7,500, which I thought was a good size because it made me feel very, very uncomfortable and that I should probably fold a lot. 
It feels like a pretty value bet. Um, what, what do you guys think when it goes bet, call, flop, check, check, river? Sometimes I think people will put out like a quarter pot bet on the turn. And that always feels to me like, I don't know, I guess it's kind of villain dependent. And then some people put a, a big bet out. And this one felt like it was kind of 40%. It's kind of in the middle there a little bit. Do you guys have a sense of like what that typically means in spots like this when it comes to hand strength or uh, here, Carlos, we'll start with you. How did you read that uh, when it comes to the strength of their hand? It typically means value. Yeah. Um, just because um, I'll still a quote from Andrew who likes to say, um, if the guy wanted to bluff, he could have done so on the turn. Yes. And so when he checks the turn, Often what they're saying is that they give it up or they are they have a showdown value type hand. And now what you can often what you often see from players is that like we mentioned earlier, like a hand like ace 10, they might decide to check that back on the turn, but then once you check again, now they feel better about the hand uh for value. So it you see more of these um in value bets um, with this line than you do with bluffs because if this guy has something like Queen Jack that he wants to bluff with now, um, why wouldn't he have wanted to bluff that on the turn? Mm-hmm. Yep, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, so I, I I really don't know if this was the right play or not. This hand is one that's sort of been uh, going over in my head since then. Um, we did I did call. I think I just got a sense that he was weak. I just got a mm-hmm. sense that he didn't want to call. Um, and I don't, I wish I could actually point to something specific that made me think that I, right now I could just be easily just rationalizing a bad call. <laughs> so I don't know whether that's true or not. Um, but I did call. He showed uh King 10 of clubs or King 10 of spades rather, which I thought was, uh, one of the very few hands that I actually could beat. Um, he was so annoyed uh, when I tabled King Queen, and I just felt like, oof, you know, that doesn't work very often. Um, and it just felt like an interesting hand that I, one that I don't feel like I played particularly well, but that was kind of illustrative of what we're talking about. Hit me, Carlos. Okay, I got some great thoughts on this. Okay. This is where, this is where the work happens, right here. See, this is <laughs> this is where you learn. Because up until that point, you thought this guy was getting way out of line. Okay? And so whether your call on the river was right or not is kind of the, up for debate. Like, we've already talked about how a lot of decisions seem close. Like, Kim brought up the fact that it was close between a call or a four-bet pre. Uh, we talked about how on the river is close between a lead or a check. So we're kind of in a gray area in a lot of spots. The way you clear that up is by watching showdowns. Now, mm. if you're really doing your job, you can get this information in showdowns before this and hands that you were not even involved, involved in. Um, but the information you get in the hand that you actually play is kind of you're kind of forced to get that because you were involved. It's like, you know, um, easy to pick up on it. So what I've learned based on this showdown is this guy is not necessarily getting out of line. Like King 10 suited is a very reasonable three betting hand here. This guy turns over like 
Nine. What I'm trying to think. What was the board? Um, yeah, Ace Eight Four was the flop, and then uh, Five Four. So it goes check check, and we win. And for a lot of people, that's all that matters. But it matters a lot to me whether we beat King Ten suited as opposed to beating like Jack Ten off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so like it goes check check down. I win against Jack Ten off. Now I know your re has been right the whole time. Because the guy is getting out of line with his three bets. And now your call on the river is clearly correct because this guy's range is ridiculously wide. We win the chips in this hand, but we don't learn much from his showdown because he had a hand that's a reasonable three bet. I guess we do learn a decent amount about his river bet because I think he has a hand that itself has a little bit of showdown value Mm -hmm. so the fact that he chose to turn that into a bluff especially for that size maybe we can like try to target him the next time that he uses that size on the river Mm. um that's something to think about but the most important thing to think about is the fact that he showed frustration when you call i lose all respect for this player when i see that Mm. up until the point that you said that i was thinking this guy is a shark and my first thought was he was targeting you specifically. Maybe he saw wreck poker on your shirt and he was like, <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, let me target yeah. this wreck player. But then he said yeah. he was doing it with several players. But if the guy feels like he's a shark, he may think that, you know, even the people who aren't wearing a wreck poker shirt are recreational players. So he might be three betting a lot of people for this small size because he expects to have an edge on, you know, random people mm. at the table. Mm-hmm. But anybody that reveals his his, uh, frustration about getting called there, to me, he's not a shark. He he might be like one of these over-aggressive players that seem good to people who don't really know what to look for. Um, But, yeah, I lose respect for people when they show that kind of frustration at the table. Yeah. Uh, Kim? I'm just wondering what you think of his river sizing there. Like if he's trying to target an eight to fold or something else that you called with on the flop, like another pair, like you don't have many draws that you're calling with there. He's probably not going to get an ace to fold unless you have a really poor ace. Like, shouldn't he be betting like a lot higher than that? A a lot bigger bet here as as trying to target whatever you've called with on the flop fold. Exactly. Like his hand has some showdown value. So he's going through the same thing we went through, which is if we're going to turn his hand into a bluff, we need to be targeting pairs. And is a pair going to fold for this small size? Probably not. So to Kim's point, since he's targeting pairs, he should be using a bigger size. Now let's say if he's really out of line and he's got like, you know, um six high somehow or seven high he has like completely no chance to win at showdown now maybe he can target some king highs and maybe choose a smaller size for it so maybe that's what he was doing anyway is that he knew that he couldn't get an eight to fold so he's trying to target a hand like king queen for some reason but um that's not not very many when you have King 10 targeting King Queen doesn't make a lot of sense because like there's mm-hmm. like two hands better than yours. But if you got if you got a smaller hand that can't even beat King High, then maybe you can use a small size, knowing that you're gonna get called by an eight, but you're just trying to get the guy off of King High. That would make sense. But if he's if he's gonna turn King High into a bluff, he needs to target an eight. And if he's gonna do that, 
like Kim said, he needs a bigger size. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like either he checks back his king as a showdown value or he has to target a pair and, and bet a lot bigger, like closer to pot, in my opinion. Yep. He, he picked up that. a he picked up a flush draw on the turn, right? Uh, no, I, I called oh. it wrong. It was uh, spades. Oh. Yeah, king of spades, oh, ten of spades. Okay, okay. I thought it was king of clubs, ten of clubs. Okay. okay. Uh, yeah, because I think he definitely would have continued. Yeah, okay. He would have bet again if he had two clubs. Yeah, I think so, too. I think so, too. Um, all right, anything else from uh, Eric or uh, Kim before we sort of sum this, this up? Uh, yeah, Kim? No, just that, you know, you won the hand, but you probably should have folded on the flop. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I get I get a little sticky. Yeah, and I think I'm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And let's let's talk about. Okay, so let's talk about before we let Carlos go. Um, Carlos, what are so obviously everyone wants to four bet with their really strong hands, aces, kings. You know, ace king suited. Uh, I've noticed recently that they have stopped making strong hands and there aren't any more strong hands available after that. So you have to start choosing some different kinds of hands to use if you're going to widen your four betting range. In a vacuum, what are some good hands to include to balance out a four betting range if you don't want to just be doing it with the top uh, of your value range all the time? Anytime you're bluffing, one of the things you want to consider is blocking your opponents continues. So that also applies to four bet, four bet bluffing, which is why this hand is very reasonable because a hand that your opponent would three bet and then five bet would be something like ace king, potentially ace queen, maybe not in the main event, but they probably at least call with it. So king queen suited is really nice for that because it blocks those sort of hands. Obviously it blocks kings and queens, which are also hands that you could face a five bet with. So hands that block your opponent's continues are always reasonable hands to consider for bluffing, uh, and in this case, four-bet bluffing. Um, One of the things you want to think about is how likely it is your opponent is going to continue at all. So Mm -hmm. if they're going to continue often, you want to be blocking their continuing range, and that's going to be do very well for you but in this spot if you were correct in your read that this guy's three betting way too wide then you probably don't expect him to continue very often to a four bet anyway in that case you don't necessarily need the blockers for you don't need to use something like king queen because that hand also dominates enough of his wide three betting range that you don't want to give him opportunity to fold out fold something like um say king 10 off and so in that case, you want to use a more polarized four betting range where you still want to use some blockers, but maybe with a hand that doesn't play as well post-flop, something like an ace-five suited maybe, where you block his ace-king, you block his aces. But if you get five bet off of that hand, it doesn't suck as much as it does to get five bet off of king-queen suited. So if you expect him to either five bet or fold, using hands like ace-five suited makes a lot of sense. Um, if you expect him to call a lot, then something like King Queen suited makes a lot of sense because it plays better post-flop. And you're even dominating some of the hands he's going to call with because he's when he chooses not to re-raise you, he's he's 
going to come along with hands like King Jack or Queen Jack or hands that you have dominated there as well, which is a nice side effect of that. And they might even fold some bad aces, which are better hands than yours. So I can see why that makes it a great candidate. Um, I've got one follow-up for that, and then we'll throw to Kim and wrap this up. Um, you talked about King-10 suited being a, a sort of a reasonable three-bet candidate. Sometimes I'm tempted to call with like the King-10 suited and instead three-bet with a hand like King-10 offsuit because it's just... It isn't. I don't mind as much getting four bet off it, kind of like you talked about before. Um, when would you choose to, to three bet with a suited Broadway like that? And when would you choose to uh, three bet with an offsuit Broadway like that? I would say the suitedness is helpful, but the the really appealing thing is connectedness. So, for example, mm-hmm. I don't want to three bet full king queen suited because that hand just play it it's almost like aces post flop in my mind like i <laughs> i actually feel bad when i get when i don't get action with that hand um so the fact that king 10 suited has the gap between the cards and it's not connected that really um hurts how well it plays post flop the suitedness is nice but you're going to flop two overs less often you're going to flop straight draws less often when you do hit a king it's going to be dominated more often so king queen suited is vastly superior to king 10 um suited so i wouldn't necessarily put those two hands in the same category as hands that i would feel really bad having a three bet fold so um yeah i would say um if you have a hand like a suited Broadway hand and you're thinking about three betting it be more likely to three bet it if it's not connected and less likely if it is. Nice. I like that. Uh, Kim, did you have one uh, follow-up question here? Yeah. Only that like in my, in my opinion, that King queen suited out of position is generally, like I said before, just a call here. And the three bet is when you're exploiting your opponent mm-hmm. that we know mm-hmm. before, but I mean, is when we're expo- exactly. exploiting an opponent that we know is three bet- getting out of line with their three bets because we don't really wa- want to fold that to a five bet. We just like we're just folding away all kinds of equity when we have to do that. So that's why it's generally just a call. But in this scenario, it can become a three bet. But I'm not a proponent of three betting king queen suited out of position at any right here. <laughs> right. Agreed. Nice. Uh, well, is there anything else um, that we'd like to ask uh, Carlos? Carlos, is there anything uh, from a strategy point of view that we sort of haven't teased out of you over the course of this conversation that you want to throw out there for our listeners? No, I would say this was a very good conversation. And I think the whole idea of defending against C-Bets is something that almost everybody needs to work on. Um, and I'll just plug the fact that, um, I just did a hand review where Andrew Brokus and his, he had a deep run in the Venom tournament on ACR, which is a $2,600 buy-in tournament. I think that one had like 4,000 runners and he fished in the, I think top hundred, some, somewhere pretty deep. And, um, we definitely discussed a lot of, um, defending against C-bets and three-bet pots and a lot of the same stuff we talked about here. So, um, I would recommend that, which you can get at nickcast.com, uh, which is the um, store for the Thinking Poker Podcast. And also, I want to just say good luck to any of you guys who will be 
playing in the bracelet events that will be starting. Um, well, I don't know when this is going to come out, but September 10th, there will be a last chance to win a bracelet online um, here in the U.S. So the bracelet events start at the end of September or the middle of September. And um, um, Alex Fitzgerald and I did a project called How to Win an Online Bracelet, where we reviewed my deep runs from 2021. There was like five or six of them in bracelet events. And one of them actually culminated in winning a bracelet, you know, a little dust, dust off the shoulder. <laughs> but um, um, that one, um, you can, um, again, it's called How to Win an Online Bracelet. And you can um, uh, contact me on Twitter for that, and I can uh, get you a pretty big discount if you're interested in that. Right on. Yeah, and I know um, Eric and Kim, if you're there, you're listening to this live as it happens. I think there's a good discount at the Knit Store right now um, for this week for Labor Day. But our listeners are going to have to reach out to Carlos directly. And Carlos, what's that uh, Twitter handle again if folks want to get in touch? Hip Hop 101 Trivia. Um, my DMs are open, so you can get in touch with me there. And just for like general information about me, um, go to that Twitter page and click on the um, tiny URL slash Carlos Welch, and um, you can find out all my other coaching office offerings. Nice. And uh, is it knitcast.com or knitcast.net? I'm getting some, uh, some differing ideas in the chat here. I think I- it's... I'm pretty sure it's netcast.com. No, I'm not I, I in think chat. I, I think it's .net. I just, I just <laughs> put it in my browser. <laughs> All right. Well, folks can try them both. And it, yeah. it won't take long to check them both out. There is a I lot try, of great stuff there. Yeah, I tried netcast.com and it redirected to netcast.net. So that's the okay. actual <laughs> There you go. Well, Carlos, thank you so much, man. It's been so cool getting to know you better and listening to you on the Thinking Poker podcast with Andrew Brokus every week. Um, I've said before, that's my favorite uh, poker podcast. So if, if somehow folks are listening to the Rec Poker podcast and they haven't checked that out, um, you've got something like 350 back episodes people could go in and catch that catch up on that for. Um, thank you so much for coming and shedding sharing your uh, uh shining your light with us here uh in the poker world i always have such a good time when we talk um so yeah folks do go check out carlos's stuff and uh, i want to thank carlos but i also want to thank kim and eric for coming and joining us on the show this week like always and mark for sean at website amp and the running aces hotel racetrack and casino and you the listeners thank you so much